Hi there, I'm Deb Crow, and I want to welcome you to season four of Imperfect, the heart-centered leadership podcast. This is a podcast where we connect, learn, and laugh together with authentic and courageous leaders from all over the globe. You will learn from leaders you haven't even met yet. You will gain new tools to add to your leadership toolkit because leadership belongs to all of us. It is not measured by stature or title. So please pull up a chair and listen in. This is the Imperfect Heart-Centered Leadership Podcast. I am so excited to record this podcast today. I want to welcome Eric Stone to the show And Eric has just wrote a new book that I just got in the mail yesterday, and it's called Jumpstart Your Workplace Culture, A Roadmap for Igniting High Performance. And Eric, what I love is the jumper cables for a battery of a car on a cup of coffee. My husband's a mechanic, so he was like, that's really cool. So as a fellow new author, I join you in... Sincere congratulations, and I just hope you're basking in all the success of your new book. Well, Deb, it's a it's a pleasure to be on your podcast and share uh, my message as well. And yes, it was a, 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 a crazy journey, and congrats right back to you for your successes with the book. Well, we changed things up this year on season four. We're doing video, which is super uncomfortable, but hey, that's where we grow, so here we are. And I'm not reading bios this this season for my guests because I like our guests to give our listeners, which are in 65 countries, we're very proud of that. I want you to give an overview to our listeners of who Eric is and, and what brought you to the show. And then we'll get into my leadership questions. You bet. Well, I'll give you a, a nice little story. of So I, I grew up in Western Massachusetts. My father was a textile salesman and he would come home at night when I was about 12 years old and I'd eavesdrop hearing all his stories about his ups and downs of his travels. And I was just, I was hooked early. And then my mother was a teacher and she was all about coaching, training and developing and always giving. And I kind of took the two of what they were really good at and just had this love of business. I loved any business movie, any sports movie, anything about getting a group of individuals together to create something special, but doing it for an extended period of time. And I eventually went to college in Rhode Island at Roger Williams University with a business degree. I met my wife at Roger Williams, so it was a special place. And since the Boston Red Sox at the time weren't hiring for a general manager right out of school, I figure, well, let, let me see what's out there. Uh, is funny enough, they just fit. They just filled a position like a week ago, which is kind of funny uh, for their new GM. And I landed really lucky with a powerful uh, company called Enterprise. At that time, Enterprise Rent-A-Car, which transitioned into Enterprise Holdings, through the Enterprise National Alamo. And they actually just did a name change to Enterprise Mobility. But I started in an office of one and learned all of the what to do and maybe what not to do as I was rising through the ranks to fast forward 20 plus years later, climbing the corporate ladder to become an executive at Enterprise and made a decision. Well, instead of just being one of four, I started to lead a few hundred employees and I had an amazing experience. It's an amazing company. And then I made a decision that I think I want to get my message out about building this high performance to a larger audience. And so I made a decision to write a book. 
And as I wrote the book, I retired from enterprise, put some of my efforts into a book to get it into not just a few hundred, but maybe 10,000, 100,000, or who knows, because I thought I had something to give. And a lot of that came from my upbringing. And a lot of it came from a question that used to be asked to me all the time as I was going through the company. And it was, what are you guys doing to create this unique sales or service or company culture within your region? And that was resonating to me. And then one other small story, my father always would tell me, Eric, I couldn't have been put on this earth to just be a textile salesman. And that always resonated. And I felt I was supposed to do some other things. Hence the book, and it's been a wild ride. You know, it's so interesting. And you've just beautifully segued into my first leadership question. And I'm sure you got asked this a lot based on what you just said. So my first leadership question is, how do you engage a team to be not top performers, but just consistent, happy performers? I get asked that question on the daily, and I would love to get your insight yeah. on that. I will keep it, as I always say, it's very simple, just not simplistic to execute. Mm -hmm. But if I had to wrap it in a, in a little present, it would be step one, a very strong relationship with now, there are a lot of things under each one I'm going to mention that you need to have initiatives wrapped under that for your entire organization, not for one department, but for everybody to thrive. Yes. Then it goes into really clear communication of expectations and goals. And there should, again, be three things that are tucked under that. It, yeah. is, a, it, it is an atmosphere of the training culture and giving individuals the right material equipment and information in order to achieve this desired outcome. So a constant learning experience. It is knowing and growing personally and professionally together. What are those things that you instill with your team? And then how do you reward it? And I use two terms. One, how do you recognize effort? Because you always want to recognize the effort, but how do you reward excellence? And I think under each of those, that is a nice, simple way to do it. I will tell you, it's not so simplistic to get everyone in your organization to be aligned with it. And so those are a couple of simple things that I would recommend that people do. Well, and I love the first one, connection. Um, my definition of heart-centered leadership is honoring your connection with people. And from, from a sales perspective, the, the great acronym, what's in it for me? Definitely not. And also to not even have any forward thought about reciprocity. And I think that's so important. And so now I'm, I'm just even more excited to dig into your book. Okay, my second question has permanent residency on the show. We have asked over 250 leaders this question. Candor and humor is allowed, but I'm going to remind you it's a 30-minute show, Eric. What <laughs> imperfections does Eric bring to his heart-centered leadership? Yeah. Well, I think the thing that I, and the book is a perfect example, um, but it was in my corporate career too, is I need to take the time to celebrate the successes that you might have as a team or individually, if you're a part of a small team and you get, you know, for me, so focused and disciplined. And I had to be growing up. I was one of those, the, the smallest kid in my class. I would get cut from a team, but then find a way to get on the next team. And so um, I, and with the book, first marathon, as you know, Deb, is we got to write the book. And you really should be celebrating the fact in between those milestones of writing it, but now you got to market it. Okay. And then you got to, and sometimes I can get so wrapped up 
into what's next that I need to do a better job and enjoy the moment, celebrate it with my team, my family, my friends. I couldn't have done this whole journey alone. There were so many people who allowed me to be where I am today. And, uh, but I need to do a better job at that. Well, and I mean, isn't turning the mirror back on ourselves and doing those self audits that that's where, you know, insight meets awareness and it, the power of the pause, right? Yes. So yeah. our homework will be to have an off offline call to make sure you've got that booked and you're, <laughs> and you're doing it right. So I'll, I'll look forward to the to be continued. That's great. Sounds good. Well, I want to give you some context um, before I kind of frame my next question. So when I'm going into companies, a lot of times as an external person, I feel that I I need to work a little bit harder to gain trust and rapport because I'm I'm the new kid on the block coming in from outside. And I ask a simple question. If you could describe the pulse of your organizational culture in three words, what would it be? And I would love to know how you would react to a question like that. And what's a similar kind of framing or questioning or even strategy or more modality that you can share with our listeners that you kind of find is tried and true? Oh, I, I love that question. And, it, and if I were to answer it in three words, it would be behaviors and action. It was, you know, to, to me, that's what it's all about. You have these these values that are listed. Everyone has them. How do you live them and align them? And when there is no gap in that, that is organizational culture at its finest. So when when I would go into organizations, I, I love just uh, it's a kind of a blank slate. My best if I well, best, I think the question I like to go to is I love knowing what their priorities are. I just love to know what are the things that are really important to you. And it's so interesting of the, again, simple, not simplistic, that you, whether it's a board and you're working with a board mm -hmm. and you ask them to describe the mission, vision, and values of a company, it is amazing. Even those engaged within come up with a variety of different things. And that is where things get complicated. Yeah. And so I like to just find alignment and you can learn a lot when you get constant Three things, here's what they are. That's when you know you have something pretty special. Well, and you know, when I get those three words back from 25 plus people, it paints a picture real quick. And it's yeah. like you said, behavior and action. And words can be one thing, but if the behavior doesn't match, the beauty is finding the disconnect and building the connection. So we're, we're so aligned in our, our thinking and our strategy. We just come at it in a different way. It's nice to share this space with you, Eric Stone. I'm well, thank you. Now, my last question, I used to be a neurotrauma case manager, and I also looked after executives on stress claims. And I lost five of them many years ago, and I talk about them daily. So my, my last question to you is, I view corporate wellness now post-COVID as how we look after our, our teams, our employees, mental health, physical health, the whole being, as opposed to pre-COVID when I used to mitigate these claims and corporate wellness happened when something went awry. How have you, and this is for all the younger Eric's, 
in the world, looking to climb that corporate ladder, what advice would you give to any young leader looking to become an executive? How do you climb that ladder and maintain, I don't want to say balance, let's say integration of work and home and maintaining your own health so that the corporate wellness is always first and foremost? Yeah, really another really strong question. And and I'll keep it really simple. For me, there were three things I always focused on. And step one is the discipline to know the priority of sleep. And I know people are like, oh, really? Or I prioritize, I knew personally, I was not myself if I didn't get the right amount of sleep. And so as hard as I went at it, I went at it hard because I loved what I was doing. Um, you know, come 9, 30, 10, Eric was, uh, he was getting his rest because I needed to be my best for my team. So f- for me, a little s- selfish saying for me, that would be the first thing that, you know, make sure when I look at greatness, the great ones tend to have a, a, a good sleep pattern. The, the next is you got to stay active. And again, this is even, cor- so for me, it was, it's, it's cardio work. It's something that makes me my mind and body. So now my mind was sharp because of sleep. My body, and I'm a skinny kind of dude, but, you know, it made me feel right. Yeah. And then for me, it is career mapping. And, okay, where where am I looking over the next X amount of time and how can I get mentors to help and get me there? There's no chance I am who I was able to be part of without the guidance, whether it was out of work or in work. And so first take care of you and then have others guide your path, but have a clear, focused, disciplined approach to it. And I think if you can do that, and I call it in the book, culture carriers, you've got to, you know, you've got to kind of become that culture carrier and have others also be your voice. And that's how you will get well-known by doing the right thing. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, so a little joke in my family and vulnerable moment for all my menopause listeners. I, like you, I am an Olympic sleeper. That's what my friends and family, you know, I, it's, it's a precedent for me. And I remember for years, my husband would say, why are you going to bed so early? And I'm like, cause I know that I need X amount of sleep. And I'm one of those people, like I meditate, then I go to sleep and I sleep for the whole night. Like I am, I'm out. But I resonate so much with that. And I don't let anything interfere with it. So you're the first person that's talked about that on the show. And so I'm going to, I'm going to bring you into that Olympic sleeping club with me. <laughs> so I love that Olympic sleeping or, club. Or rare, Eric. I, I will say if there were two things that I saw as opportunities of coaching a lot of employees, I would stick to please get some really strong time management skills. And that doesn't mean just just being right with the time, but the energy you put into that. And so they kind of cross over. And then don't be afraid. You have to learn how to have difficult conversations. Yeah. And those are usually two reasons of all the management folks that I was helping guide it was they just couldn't get as organized as they would have liked to. And when they did, they just couldn't hold someone accountable or have that tough conversation. It doesn't have to be delivered poorly. It's important how it is delivered. And I think if you could do those two things, those are critical to those who are entering. My, I have 11 nieces and nephews. Oh, wow. All, all, all pretty much to Gen Z. They're, you know, they're all just you know that 20 to 30 something. 
And so that is the biggest guidance that I try to give, as well as my son who works for my old region I used to run with an enterprise, so small world. Oh, that's that's a full circle moment. Yeah, absolutely. Um, you're going to enjoy my book when I send it to you because I talk about energy management a lot. Yeah, I can't wait. Okay, I'm going to switch to my Fab Four. These are just four fun questions. We don't want you to think. We just want to know what's on top of that brilliant mind of yours. <laughs> okay, that's a stretch. Hey, first question. If I ask you if there's a word or a phrase that shows up daily in your leadership, what would it be? I would say that there might have to hopefully be two to tell me more. And uh, your, what was your thought process? Now, that, that could be perceived as negative, and, and it's not. What happens in a lot of times in business is before just saying that's not right or what are you doing, a lot of times they have a reason why they made that path. Yeah. And the moment I understood their decision making, it, it changed what I might have actually thought. I had to learn to listen. And so I like those, those two approaches. And, uh, and a nice, nice way to frame inquiry. Yeah. Right? Yeah. I like that. Okay. Second question. You cannot use your own book. Just, just a little context. Share with us a book that you've read at any time or juncture in your life that was really impactful. What was the title of the book and who was the author and how did it impact you? Yeah. Strong question again here. I, I would probably go to one of the first ones I read. There are so many great ones, so it's hard, to, it's hard but it was First Break All the Rules, uh, Marcus Buckingham. I think there are two authors. I know, I know Marcus's name from the, the Gallup stuff. And what, it, what I learned from it was um, to kind of double down on people's strengths and not, not worry too much about what they might not be doing well or those weaknesses. And there were a bunch of different messages, but I think why it was so important is because early on in my management career, I had a lot of things I needed to do better. <laughs> and so being the first that allowed me to recognize and really spend actually another moment was spend time with some, your, your great people too. Don't some of us get caught in trying to fix those who are really, really struggling. And of course you should. But it almost was a shift to say, don't forget about your superstars. You know, spend time with your superstars and double down on those strengths. So I'd have to give that book the credit, but so many good ones. Yeah, it's hard. It's hard. I know. That's a good one, though. Okay, third question. I got to give some context again. I'm granting you a wish and you get to have dinner with any leader of your choice, this leader could be living, they could be passed away. Who are you having dinner with and what is the dinner conversation? Yeah, I'm gonna, uh, probably another one, I, 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 there's a few I'd love to do. If I had to pick one and maybe it's because I grew up being a diehard UCLA Bruins ha uh, fan when I was younger and they just were generous enough to purchase a bunch of books for their the college. Uh, John Wooden. Uh, John Wooden was this legendary UCLA basketball coach. He created this, what he called the pyramid of success. He led another person, high standard, high character. And what would I ask him? I would just be a sponge. And just as my line was, t tell me more. I want to learn all about how he became who he became and the challenges he faced. And how did he handle the stress of being that great for that long? And how did he manage Bill Walton, who is this crazy kind of basketball player, and Kareem Abdul-Jabbar and all these 
different personalities, but he just was legendary. And I would love to have a conversation with him. That's awesome. Okay, before I ask you my last question and you finish the show, I just want to say I I don't believe in coincidence is I think we were meant to meet. I am so delighted you came on the show today. I look I look forward to our next offline coffee conversation. I'm excited to read your book. Thank you for gifting me uh your book. I'm I am delighted and excited to read your thought leadership. So it's just been so awesome having you today. I feel the same way. I'm going to ask you to close out the show by finishing this sentence. Heart-centered leadership is? The way to unlock everyone's potential. Thanks so much for joining me today on Imperfect, the Heart-Centered Leadership Podcast. I hope you've enjoyed the show today and have learned some new tools for your leadership toolkit from our amazing Heart-Centered guest. If you like the show, feel free to give us a rating and a review, and we always welcome your feedback anytime. If you're ready to master the art of heart, my new book, The Heart-Centered Leadership Playbook, is now available on Amazon, or you can click the link below in our description.